Hello, I'm Daryl Fairchild, Dayton City Commissioner and host of this uh, podcast and live Facebook show called A Work in Progress. And the whole idea of the podcast is to create a community of learners that is both interactive and respectful. And uh, today, our topic is going to be around our neighborhoods. Two weeks ago, we had Diane Shannon on, and we talked about the budget, and that process is still proceeding. We're in a period of public comment on the budget. Matter of fact, tomorrow, today is Tuesday, January 28th. 28th, thank you. Um, tomorrow evening's commission will have public hearing on the budget. So if you want to come and make comments around the budget, I invite you to come in. Um, and so two weeks ago, we did the podcast on the budget, the basics of the budget. And the next question that we had coming up out of that was, where are we allocating money for the neighborhoods? And uh, what can we hope to see as we um, allocate, as we proceed in that budget process? And to remind our viewers, the budget process is around five community service areas. And one of those community service areas is the one that includes planning and community development. And it's in that community service area today where we're going to focus. And so I have Todd Kinski, Todd Kinski on. Todd chairs um, the same time frame as I do with the city. We both came on in May of 2018, so about 20 months. Todd, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Glad to have you here. And, um, you know, before we get into the topic, just a little bit of how did you get to Dayton as a, and how did you get into um, planning and community development? Okay. Um, well, actually, I've been working as a planner my entire career. Um, I hold a bachelor's degree <clears throat> in uh, urban planning from University of Cincinnati. I understand you might be a graduate of that. I am a well. graduate of there, a proud Bearcat. That's right. Um, and uh, I have uh, worked in public service my entire career as a planner. Um, prior to coming to the city of Dayton, I worked for Hamilton, Hamilton County, where Cincinnati is, uh, for 23 years. Spent 10 years there as the planning director um, and uh, got a phone call about a job in Dayton and here I am. Well, great. Glad so, to have you. And uh, before we came on, we were talking about uh, what you do and you love to play basketball. I do as much as I can. All right. So Now, do you like to play on the perimeter or do you like to get on, on, on the blocks and mix it up? Um, I like to have the ball in my hand. Okay. So... Usually <clears throat> start on the outside and finish close to the basket. All right. Very good. So. Um, so thinking about neighborhood development, that's one component of um, planning and community development. Right. So can you give us briefly an overview of the whole department and then how neighborhood development fits into that? Absolutely. So the department has four main divisions. Um, our planning division <clears throat> which does both short-range and long-range um, projects. So, for example, if you want to rezone your property, you, we'll have to review that. Um, but also, we're doing neighborhood plans and long-range plans. So that's all happening in our planning division. A component, a sub, a subcomponent of planning is um, community engagement. So a lot of our residents probably have a lot of contact with our with our folks in the community engage, engagement division. Um, and then we have housing. Uh, so that's all about housing uh, violations, housing demolition, uh, dealing with property maintenance issues. Uh, then we have community development, which um, is all of the HUD funds that we get from the federal government for affordable housing and doing uh, projects in low mod neighborhoods. Um, and then uh, also lastly is, this, is the uh, Dayton Mediation Center. Okay. So those are the four main divisions. 
and, and to some degree, all of them have some touch uh, point for a neighborhood development. Okay. Um, specifically on neighborhood development, though, yeah. I'd say, um, you know, quite frankly, um, anything happening in the neighborhoods we're going to see. So, uh, you know, um, we, it's pretty vast. So everything from road projects that engineering may be working on will get brought in to take a look at that before okay. they before they move forward. Um, obviously, in our community development division, we're spending money in neighborhoods, so we have to um, decide um, where that gets spent. Um, and we do that's really broken up into two buckets. One is the money we spend internally with city projects, um, things like paving streets. So mm -hmm. block grant dollars are used for paving streets in low and moderate income neighborhoods. Um, and then also, uh, we have a certain uh, pot of money each year that we use for discretionary funds. And that is done through a competitive process. And so we um, provide money to organizations that are doing work in our neighborhoods, okay. um, providing services like, um, for example, uh, helping elderly homeowners do repairs, right. uh, things like that. Um, That's kind of the rebuilding together date. Absolutely, right. Uh, right organization. But, and they, I think in this past, and this was a new in this last yeah. budget cycle, we did a competitive process to make sure our nonprofits were... Right. Um, we, we apparently used to do that before I was here several years ago, and we brought that back. Okay. Uh, so, yes, uh, we'll be doing that competitive uh, process on an annual basis. Okay. Um, as Diane was sharing in the previous podcast, the budget is really a statement of our priorities, and it's um, focused on the outcomes, and one of those is around our neighborhood and improving our neighborhoods. As we look at this 2020 budget, um, where are we allocating resources? And, um, you know, some of those dollars go to things that we just have to do, like paving roads. Um, some of it sustains work that we're doing. Um, is there anything in the budget that you look to and get really excited about? Well, um, <clears throat> as you said, Diane, I went over that. I think we've got about $10 million um, allocated for neighborhoods. Uh, there's a couple things in that list really excite me, and um, some more than others, but I have to tell you, uh, paving streets actually really excites me. That sounds kind of crazy, but um, if you've ever if you've ever lived on a street where it's a it has a lot of potholes and then they come by and pave it, uh, it it's a game changer. I mean, it mm -hmm. actually can impact the value of someone's home if sure. they're trying to sell it. So uh, that's a little wonky on my side as a public servant, but I really love paving streets. I think it's great. Well, I think um, you know last week or last <laughs> podcast, Diane was sharing the CPI and right. how you know before issue nine it was down in the 60s, I think right. we're up towards the 70s now, and right. moving to um, to move that, push that up so that the whole city um, right. has a sense of that their neighborhood has been addressed in terms of just a basic public right. service. Those right. kinds of things make a big difference. Sure. <clears throat> and the commitment the city's made to that, I think, is, is really important. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, yeah. um, that's probably not what you expect me to say. Um, but as a planner, um, the work we're doing with Urban Design, Urban Design Associates on our neighborhood visioning plans has been is really um, important. Um, we are, you know, we're working through this process to prepare these visions for for, the, for our neighborhoods um, as we try to identify future areas of investment and. Um, the work that they do is not so much doing new plans, it's really stitching together all of the plans that we've been doing. Um, if, if you look um, at any one geography within the city of Dayton, over the course of the last 15, 20 years, we've done so many plans, it's, un, it's really amazing. And a lot of them are still valid. Some of them are new, some of them are older. 
But um, what we've asked QDA to do is essentially pull all those together and find the gaps, find the missing points. And then we coalesce around some areas where we really think there's going to be potential new investment. Um, and then they've, they've put the, the drawings that they've put together are just truly amazing. And the notion um, behind their work is that there's really a couple things going on here. One is um, we, um, we are using this work to really attract investment. So we need to be able to show investors that, hey, this is what something can look like, and it's greatly different than it's today. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that we're doing that I think is, that is really important is that we have to challenge our uh, residents to think about the future. Um, and if there's anything that's constant in this world, it's change. And so often when we meet with neighborhoods, um, we hear a lot about, you know, they want things to be the way they used to be. And the reality is that it's never going to be that way. We're always changing. You know, you're going to be different tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be different tomorrow. The city is going to change. We evolve. And we're never going to be a neighborhoods full of shoe stores and florists and dry cleaners. I mean, the service economy's changed. Retail's changed. Um, the way we do business change has changed. And so um, the challenge for neighbors, uh, for our residents, is really to dream about the future. And what is the future going to look like? Sure. And so it's hard for people to do that unless you show them a picture of what it could be. Well, the good news is in the UDA, um, and if we think of the city, we're um, really kind of have five areas. We have the greater downtown area sure. and then the four land use areas and geographically as west and northwest, northeast and southeast. The west plan, UDA is actually completed, yep. and that's up uh, on our website and we can put a link in the in the Facebook here so people can see it. Sure. I'm really excited because I have a new legislative aide, Laura Zek, and uh, Laura can get that done for us. So Laura, welcome to the team. And um, and so um, people will be able to find that and look at that and see exactly what you're talking about. And, right. and um, a couple of thoughts in what you said. In my mind, it's more like a 40,000 look at where we're at um, when I ran for commission, one of the things I was frustrated about was that we didn't have a comprehensive plan. Right. And like you said, there were a lot of plans that had been done over the years, but they, it wasn't quite clear how they all fit together. And in some places they were contradictory and it wasn't like how you adjudicate the resources to make all those plans work together. Right. So I think UDA helps a piece of that in terms of um, giving us a vision for the quadrant. And when we get done, we'll have all four of them together and it really help us think about comprehensively and then how to allocate resources. And the other piece, which you said, was this looking forward and what it can be. And so it's um, more than a plan, it's a vision for what it can be. And the, um, you know, just looking at the illustrations can like spark one's imagination. And as you say, draw um, investment. I'm a person who has looked back with nostalgia for what I grew up with. And it's not so much the, um, the planning or the, the physical attributes of the neighborhood, but what I long for, and which I think we could recover, is a sense of social cohesion. There are neighborhoods where our folks, because of the blight, they live so far apart, they don't have neighbors who are close by, they don't know those neighbors. That's something I think we can recreate. And when I've talked to neighbors out in the, in the community, that that's what they yearn for, is a sense that I know my neighbor, um, and we're supportive of each other, and we know our kids, and um, so I think there's a, a both of that, that there's a mm -hmm. vision of who we can be, 
but there's still a part that we can recover that's important. Oh, I, I don't disagree with you at all. Yeah. I just think it's um, the social cohesion is probably going to be around different um, you know, different institutions than they were in the past. Right. So the, the idea of building community and, um, and having social cohesion, having people working together towards a common goal and you know, basically having a high quality of life, right. um, we're all on the same page. Right. It's just Absolutely. really what are the things that are bringing you together. And I think that's the, that's the thing is that, um, you know, the retail court, re- retail environment has changed. I mean, right. Amazon, I mean, what it's doing to bricks and mortar stores and um, just the way that we do business um, has changed so much. And, and cities like Dayton and, and, you know, all over this country are, are really, we have an oversupply of retail. In terms of just actual locations, so um, uh, as we as our as our population has decreased, you know that's we've seen some of that go away, and that's really challenging for folks, frustrating, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's probably hard for people to hear that we have an abundance of retail. We're in Dayton. Yeah, you know, we really have a retail <laughs> well, desert. Yeah. Well, I'm saying in terms of the actual structures dedicated for that use. Okay. Uh, many of them are vacant, right. so in, we, in we, yeah, we, yeah, we, we don't necessarily have an abundance of the, the kinds of retail we want. Right. We, yeah. You know, before, um, in 2016, I was pastor down at Bellbrook, and they were looking to do the cornerstone development, and they had vacant properties all up and down Wilmington, so um, I think that illustrates your point. Right, exactly. And that was seven years ago, or yeah. five years ago. Right, yeah. When you see... Uh, you know, uh, businesses closing down at the, the most popular retail locations uh, in the region. You're like, what's going on here? So exactly, the, the trends are changing. So okay. Um, so I, I interrupted you. I didn't know if there's anything else that you're excited about in the budget that you hadn't got to say yet. Um, well, the, the thing I'm also excited about the, the demolition that we do, because um, when we take down empty uh, buildings, it, it just dramatically improves the life of the people near it. Um, you know. Uh, our challenge is um, being strategic about that. And I know that's frustrating for folks because we have, you know, the numbers aren't hard, but we believe we have, there's still five to 6,000 empty buildings in the city. And, um, you know, we, we have a method that we use um, to make those decisions. And, you know, it's one of those things where we just, we just can't have enough money sure. for demolition. So, but uh, I can tell you that every time we bring down a building, um, it, it makes people happy, and so um, there was a when I first came to Dayton. Um, I won't mention the person's uh, name, but I was uh, at a community meeting, and someone was really excited about uh, telling me their opinion about a building near their house, and uh, they called me frequently. And uh, um, <laughs> about six months ago, that building came down. <clears throat> I was at a public meeting a couple weeks ago, and they were uh, thanking me. So um, it's uh, it's good when we can do that. Sure. Uh, we just need to do more of it. Okay, so. Um, when, um, I mean, I, I think the demolition probably helps us get to the next question, which is we have more buildings than we can bring down in one year. Um, I think Diane has the budget over there. What is it? 1.8 in 2020? Yeah. yeah. 1.8 million dollars. Mm-hmm. About how many structures does 1.8 million be able to bring down? Well, I, I, you should give me that question before oh. I showed up. All uh, right. Uh, well, the problem is the challenge is that while well, it's one point eight million dedicated to demolition, um, part of it is for boarding up houses, part of it is for asbestos remediation work. Sure. So I'd say probably the better answer is you know it, probably the average demolition price is about sixteen thousand dollars per house. Okay. 
But, you know, of this 1.8 million, probably a half a million of it is not for actual demolition activity. Okay. So if we get down a couple hundred, you know, a year, you know, okay. two, three hundred, that would be yeah. ideal. I think in the gray book last year it was 300. Yeah. We, we had a difficult year and um, we had other priorities that overseeded right. that, superseded that. Um, so somewhere between 200, 200 and 300. Yeah. So it's going to take a long time at that pace to yep. bring all those structures down. How do where, how do you um, prioritize in the demolition? I think people would really like to hear that again because sure. um, that's the question we get all the time. Why isn't the house next to me coming down? Yep. And um, and then broadly, when you look at all the all the opportunities and challenges we have in the neighborhoods, how do we how do you see the priori- priorities being um, set up and then um, balanced? Yeah, sure. So on the demolition, um, first of all, we score every building. So we have we have to do this in a data driven process. Otherwise, it just sounds arbitrary, and that's not you can't defend that. So we score all the buildings, you know. So the worst come down, um, uh, but we also have a secondary set of components we look at. Um, we look at uh, look if they're on corridors, if they're adjacent to schools, um, are they adjacent to some asset, a big employer, for example. Um, is it fire damaged, those kinds of things, and then how long have they been on the list, of the, the nuisance list? So we take all those factors into consideration. The problem is that the list isn't static because, you know, if we have a, a, a suddenly, let's say we have an arson or we have a house burn, and, and suddenly, you know, now we have to take that one down before another one. And, uh, and I know that creates some frustration, but I will tell you this, we are working towards um, creating a complete transparent process where um, everything is online. You can see every property where we've issued a nuisance violation. You can see all the properties on the nuisance list. So all that's out there. Uh, so we'll make it easier for people at least to see where we're doing it, see the work that we're doing. Uh, the challenging thing is a lot of things that we do you can't see. Okay. So we might be taking a property through court, you know, to get um, um, a property, you know, re- you know, repaired, uh, but you can't see that. So we're trying. To, we're working on a transparent way for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is there a timeline on that? When that? Uh, it, well, we're working with our folks uh, okay. in GIS, so uh, we're working through it. I would. I would like to have it online tomorrow, right. but I would hope this year, okay. sometime this year, we could get that rolled out. Um, and the second part of the question was about neighborhood investment. Yeah, you know. Because demolition is just one component, right. right? And, you know, at some point you got to make a decision. Do I take a house down or do I try to invest in a property or into some infrastructure so that, you know, I prevent three houses sure. from moving into to be? Yeah. So there's really, I think there's two parts of this. Um, the one part is um, we have to be data-driven. Okay. So, for example, on the NIP program where we, you know, got this influx of dollars for demolition, you know, we could be random about it. So we, you know, we looked at uh, all the neighborhoods and we score them based on various sets of uh, criteria and, you know, we've broken them down into the healthy and the stable and unhealthy categories. And we really focused on those um, tipping point, you know, neighborhoods. And if, um, and, and in fact, when we did that, we created that model, it actually became the model that, that the, the state told everyone else to follow because we were trying to stabilize those neighborhoods and keep those houses that were there um, from getting worse. Right. Um, and so that's one part of it. It's the right. data piece. The other piece is, is this, 
you know, the asset-based approach that the city takes to all of its development. We have to leverage the funds that we have. Um, so we, we have limited funds on an annual basis, and then we have to be smart about it. So as you know, around, you know, Good Sam and the whole, you know, previous Good Sam, the Phoenix Project, right. or around um, the fairgrounds or um, uh, children's, you know, we, we have this asset-based approach uh, uh, investment. And um, we have to leverage everything we do. So that's why um, when we look into our neighborhoods, we have to we have to take the money that we're spending, and it has to be coupled with funds that uh, other um, private parties are doing so or, or spending. So our whole approach is is really this asset based approach uh, to investment. Um, and the challenge there is that um, if we don't if we don't have investment going on to a neighborhood, how do we spark it? How do we take our funds and then attract some other investments? So that could be a combination of um, some kind of tax incentive um, combined with some other private investment. For for example, you know, starting next year, we'll be starting the rebuild of Salem Avenue. So that is a city investment. Um, and, you know, it, it, can that build, can someone else's private investment build on that? Um, so I'd say those are the kind of very generally the two really big factors that have to come to play. Okay. Um, I know that we have... Um was it five and five million two hundred fifty thousand dollars for the Northwest Corridor that came from the settlement with waste management, right? Um, and then on top of that, another five million I think from us, and then ten million from um, Premier around that Northwest and around right. the Good Sam site and the Phoenix Next. Um, that that becomes another example where there's more than twenty million dollars worth of work that could be done in our neighborhoods right. in that area. And your priorities then, looking through there, are help me. Can you run down again? So again, corridors. It's also uh, stabilizing um, homeowners that are there. Yeah. Uh, the, the, those are really two big uh, parts of it. Um, and and of course, trying to attract some kind of re- new investment on right. the sand property is a, is a huge uh, is a huge um, okay. uh, goal. Sure. Um, um, one of our goals is to be interactive. We got a question off of our Facebook Live, and it's how can citizens get involved? You talked about in the planning, comp- one of the subdivisions is around uh, sure. na- or citizen engagement, I think. Well, that's a kind of a broad question, I guess. Or if, if they're referring to the UDA work, uh, we will um, be having the first week of March, we will be having um, a four-day kind of exercise in the Northeast area. So there'll be uh, several opportunities for citizens to get involved in, in that process then. Um, uh, you know, but if they want generally, they want to get more involved in what the city does, they should contact you know, uh, the, the planning division, specifically for Letta Jackson and our community engagement division, and we'll find ways for folks to get involved. Yeah. Um, and one other way they can always get involved with is their own neighborhood association. Well, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, I mean, uh, absolutely. Yeah. If they're not involved, they should be. Right. Because the city, our communication line is typically with the neighborhood uh, official neighborhood association and their leadership. Right. So, and so it's, it's multi-layered. Yeah. Um, but at the closest to their neighborhood would be their neighborhood association. And that actually is one of the indicators in terms of whether a neighborhood is in those categories of whether it's a tipping point, whether it's a stable, or whether it's revitalization. Those... 
Well, we categorize on two. One is based on a set of conditions, uh-huh. and the other is based on the activities of the of the neighborhood. Okay. So there's actually two indicators. Okay. It, yeah, and so uh, we measure the uh, how engaged they are through how through the activities that they're doing. Okay. That's a separate uh, measurement. Okay. Yeah. So certainly, some neighborhoods are more more active and more engaged than others. All right. Great. Um, well, I want to thank you, for um, Todd, for being our guest today. I want to thank those who have tuned in at the Facebook Live and, and those who might um, tune in to us during the podcast. Um, also, some thank yous to City Manager Shelley Dickstein for her help in uh, supporting this, as well as my fellow commissioners and the mayor. Um, and thank you to the public affairs staff, to uh, Tony Bankston and Andrew Estevez and Melissa Laysath. Um, thank you for your help. And a big thank you to Laura Zek, who is um, new to the City Commission. She's a legislative aide and working with me. So welcome, Laura, and uh, thank you, everyone. And the next question, one of the things that we talked about today was the uh, UDA work. So in two weeks, um, we'll be back, I think that's February 11th, at 12.15, and Tony Kroger, Kroger? Tony Kroger. Kroger is going to come in and give us an overview of the UDA work, and we'll dive into that a little bit more because, as you said, that's something that's exciting, something that I think is going to be important for us. And once we have um, all four of those quadrants done, we'll actually have a pretty comprehensive vision of where we can go, and that'll help uh, guide us, which is really important since the 2020 plan is... uh, is here. Yeah, that's right. And we got to look beyond that. So, well, thank you for inviting me today. Absolutely. Thank you, Todd. Thanks for being here. And uh, everyone have a great day.